Welcome to Inside Athletic Training, a podcast from the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainer Society and the ultimate destination for athletic training professionals, students, and educators looking to learn more about sports medicine and athletic training. In each episode, we'll dive headfirst into conversations with experts in the field, bringing you insights, stories, and cutting-edge information about athletic training and sports medicine. This week on Inside Athletic Training, we welcome in Sean Fields, assistant athletic trainer and World Series champion from the Texas Rangers. Enjoy the show. All right, Sean, we're super excited to have you on the podcast for episode number 40. Um, I know you have a lot of exciting things going on um, within the postseason, the World Series championship, all that good stuff that we'll talk about soon. Um, just to, for the listeners to get to know you, you're currently an assistant athletic trainer within the Texas Rangers organization, obviously a huge role with the club, major impact on the team. Um, we'll get into all that soon, but first let's share a bit with the listeners about you. Uh, tell us about your background, you know, maybe where you're from, uh, what you're into growing up in terms of sports and also how you found your passion for athletic training. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, uh, originally from small West Texas towns called Sonora population less than 2000. Um, kind of an oil and gas ranching community. Uh, I grew up on a ranch, um, which was awesome. And, uh, just love it. Love, uh, being able to go back there and just be a part of it, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but as far as like sports, man, it was a big, being West Texas, it's a big football town, right? My dad won a state championship when he was in high school and I had the opportunity and pleasure of being on a state championship team myself when I was in high school. So, you know, grew up playing football, um, ironically, we didn't have peewee or anything like that. So it was all like sandlot, right. You know, recess, mm-hmm. tackle football out in the grass. Um, and then obviously, you know, baseball and basketball, um, I wasn't very fast. Right. So I, I didn't, I didn't do well at track. I remember in like seventh and eighth grade, they had me run the hurdles, the one ten hurdles and I could barely get over them. So <laughs> like I would I'd run two and then I would knock the rest over, you know? And so, yeah. um, just kind of focused on, you know, primarily football in the fall, you know, basketball over the winter and then into baseball in the spring. And those are my three, you know, primary sports that I really, really enjoyed, um, playing growing up. And then, uh, yeah. And then as far as like athletic training was concerned, I wasn't, I wasn't hurt a lot. Um, you know, and we didn't have being such a small school, like we didn't have a certified athletic trainer and they probably actually weren't even required at the time. Um, so it was literally our line, our linebackers coach, I think had taken maybe a class in college. And so he served as our, as our athletic trainer as well. And so, you know, I remember I, I had a hip flexor, um, issue my senior year. And so I spent a little bit of time in there, but otherwise I wasn't really in there. Um, but I actually like, I learned to appreciate what he was able to do, right. As far as, you know, treatments and and pain management and things like that to keep a, you know, small, you know, West Texas kid on the field. Mm -hmm. Um, and it probably didn't really, really blossom until I got into college. Uh, I went to Texas tech university for my undergrad and, uh, I knew that I wanted to be in sports in some capacity. I just didn't know how I wanted to do it. So I first did the whole teaching, uh, coaching and teaching track. Um, and then I realized really quickly, like, I don't think I can be a, I don't think I'd be a very good coach just for whatever reason. And that's not, I didn't really want to teach either. And so I came back home. I remember one off season and I started kind of talking to him because he was still coaching at my high school and, you know, kind of picked his brain a little bit and then um, ended up doing their 
I guess it would be like an internship program at Tech because they had a master a certified program for their master's uh, program, but otherwise, you know, uh, you couldn't really do anything or sit for like your Texas state licensure, unless you had the right prereqs. And I ended up getting into it so late that I didn't really have an opportunity to do that. But regardless, I worked two years at tech, um, in their athletic training program, undergrad program. And I worked all sports, you know, football, basketball, baseball, um, baseball or, uh, track, cross country, tennis, all that good stuff. And it was pretty much there where I was like, dang, yeah, I think I can actually do this. I think I enjoy doing this. You know, like I enjoy trying to get, stay on the field, you know, and keep guys on the field. And so that's from that point, mm-hmm. I, I applied to, um, two programs for graduate school, the one at Texas tech, and then the one at Stephen F Austin and ended up choosing Stephen F Austin just because the, the cohort size was very, very small and ended up mm-hmm. being, you know, just eight, eight people in my cohort. And, uh, I, went there, did that. And then I think I truly fell in love with it and decided that it's what I wanted to do. After my first year, I had an internship with Texas, um, in 2009 down in the Dominican Republic. And I went down there and it was supposed to, I was supposed to be under the tutelage of, I guess their athletic trainer down there, but he ended up being, uh, he was let go a couple of weeks before I went down there. And so it was me and another kid. And the, the other kid was a undergrad sophomore undergrad I was a first year grad student and so I kind of mm-hmm. took the lead and you know took charge of everything and ran that program down there and they had two different teams um so those probably 80 to 100 kids in the complex and mm-hmm. so uh it was going through that entire summer and doing that and like you know being able to make decisions and and actually keep players on the field and, and be a part of it and I think that's when I truly decided that athletic training was the route that I wanted to go and especially in, in professional baseball Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely interesting to hear um, kind of how you and all your colleagues across the league find a passion and and at what time that really kicks in, whether it's, you know, some people who we've had on the show know immediately in high school, this is what they want to do. And they focus on that. And some it takes a bit longer, but uh, but really cool to hear that story from you there. Um, uh, one thing I, I need to talk about, obviously, everybody knows who's uh, listening here and a baseball fan is uh this season for you guys, World Series champions, congratulations, first of all, to you and the entire staff. Thank you. Um, you know, the Rangers win their first ever World Series championship. You're a Texas guy. It happens to be in your first season with the big league club, which is absolutely incredible. Um, <laughs> I want to ask from your perspective, uh, what was it like, um, you know, just getting that final out? Um, you're officially a World Series champion. You're going to get a ring. What goes through your mind at a time like that? It was, it's funny because I don't think it truly like hit me until maybe the parade, you know? Um, but it was like, I remember standing in the dugout and we're watching the whole game and that, that game went so fast. Right. And it's mm-hmm. like nothing happened until the seventh inning. And, but I do remember, and you know, I, I apologize in advance to, you know, what I'm about to say, but like, I remember turning to lucky in the seventh <laughs> inning. And I said, this is, I go, this is cause we, he had a no hitter going into that. And I was like, this is where he loses his no hitter and the ball game. Like we're going to mm-hmm. do it right here. Yeah. And, um, a, uh, I remember just like watching those last three innings and they just like, it happened so fast. Right. And, and I think, uh, that final out, um, it was a curveball up in the zone. Right. And I don't think we'd been getting that call at all the entire night. So he threw it, you know, Marte didn't swing. Mm -hmm. He called it as a third strike. And I think everybody took a second, like, Oh gosh, 
we just won, you know? And it was like, <laughs> I remember like immediately, like I was standing next to Lucky and I turned to him. We gave each other like a huge hug because, you know, like in his, he, you know, he was up there um, in 2011 too, yeah. right? In his first year in the big leagues when, you know, and they made it and they didn't get to win. And that was kind of the running yep. joke, I think, between him and I, right? Was you did it and I didn't, um, but I gave mm. him a huge hug. And then, you know, just, you know, it's just like, I don't know. It was a sense of just uh, relief, I think, right? Because, sure. you know, we had so much stacked against us, not only, you know, just this season, but but for the, you know, 63 years that it took for us to get there. So um, mm. it was it was awesome, man. It was really, really cool. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Lucky being uh, Matt Lucero, for people who don't know, um, the head athletic trainer with the Rangers. You mentioned Lucky's first year in the big leagues being, you know, the 2010-2011, um, kind of a devastating time period and season looking back on, on being so close for the Rangers. Um, but with this being your first year in the big leagues um, and approaching, you know, such a long playoff run, um, it probably felt normal to you. I'm assuming because it's just what you've known in the big leagues is, is making this run. Um, but were there any conversations with Jamie Reed, who we'll touch on later uh, lucky and the, and the guys on staff, um, the real veterans about how special this was and how you should approach it as a first year guy in the big leagues. Yeah, I think the the one thing that that Jamie or Jamo as we call him, um, the the one thing that he told me over and over again was just to just enjoy it, right? Like, like mm-hmm. a lot of people don't get to experience this, so just enjoy it. And he goes, "You're going to the playoffs," and I, he said it probably three or four times throughout the entire postseason. Was like, enjoy this postseason, enjoy the ride, right? Yeah. Just sit back and just let it sink in. And I think you know, like I think that really kind of hit home. Oh, and we're in Baltimore game one introductions and right. And I mean, the, the entire, the entire stands are just filled with orange and black. And I mean, there was maybe like five blue hats there. I'm sure there were more, but it was like, you know, it was all orange and black Orioles stands. And it was just like to, you know, it's just, it was cool. It was something that I've never outside of opening day. I've never really, you know, felt or experienced. And so it was from him, you know, just enjoy the ride. Right. And then, you know, like lucky, it was just, I think it was cool to watch him be a head athletic trainer in that scenario, because I don't think they, he'd never been a head trainer in the playoffs. Right. And so to just Mm -hmm. see how composed he was, you know, throughout the entire thing, you know, I mean, we had some issues, you know, especially with like Scherzer and, and uh, Adolis there in the world series. And just to see how he handled that and how he, you know, maneuvered that and ultimately manipulated it to where, you know, we could keep guys on the field or, you know, whatever we had to do. Um, It was just, it was really cool to see that um, and see how just, just calm, cool, and collected he was in his decision-making. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I want to touch on that a bit as well. You know, with those those injuries you guys suffered to, you know, probably, well, not probably, undoubtedly your your hottest player um, going into the World Series. Um, and then also Scherzer goes down early. Um, you had a ton of challenges toward the end of the year, just trying to find your way into the playoffs as well. So um, what goes into the attitudes and and handling that for an athletic training staff led by J-Mo and Lucky and, and you know, yourself and Jacob? Uh, what do you guys kind of do to approach that when when things kind of aren't going in your your favor uh, as the postseason goes on? Yeah, no, I, I think it's I think it's really hard to get negative very quickly. Right. Or sorry, not hard. It's very easy to, to, to get negative very quickly. And, um, I think they did a tremendous job of not letting that happen. Right. And just by, you know, it's just like little conversations. It's like, I remember like with Adolis, it was like, Oh, he's going to play tomorrow. 
mm-hmm. he's gonna be on the field tomorrow you know and it's like dang like okay like it went from it just at least in my mind it's like this is a you know this could be the turning point in this series to no like we'll find a way to get him on the field you know ultimately we didn't right but it was like and it was the same thing with Scherzer and, and like that was the approach it wasn't panic it wasn't hitting that red button you know it wasn't like you know just concern that that the entire series was lost and our momentum was gone it was no like we're we'll be all right you know we're gonna we're gonna do what we've always done we did it for 170 games before this we've mm-hmm. had adversity throughout the entire season you know with DeGrom and with the Evaldi and with Seager and Josh Young you know what I mean it was like so it's like mm-hmm. this is nothing new for us yeah like the light's a little bit brighter this is the big stage but at the end of the day like we are here because you know we can keep guys on the field or, you know, we can, we can, um, get guys better. And that's, uh, that was, that was cool to see. Yeah. And, and I recently spoke with, uh, talk about like humps in the road and, and getting by certain, certain things like injuries and whatnot. I recently spoke with, uh, JMO who said that getting over the hump of beating the Astros in the ALCS was such a huge moment that it really propelled the team moving forward. And it almost felt like a world series in itself is just getting by such a tough team. Who's been to the ALCS seven straight years, an in-state rival. Um, And you guys, you know, you went through, uh, you know, a great Baltimore team um, before that. Uh, Did you guys get the sense, um, that getting over the hump of beating the Astros kind of propelled you, you know, to have a great world series. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest, like, like losing the division on the last day of the season was heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that I've ever truly felt the clubhouse being just quiet like that. Right. I think everybody knew the the magnitude of what had happened on game 162. Um, and so I think absolutely to JMO's point, yes, beating the Astros did it, but I think it was the road that got us there, right? I think taking, like, having to go into Tampa and beat an incredibly good team, right? Yeah. And then doing that in two games, and then having to go to Baltimore and beat an incredibly good team, right? The best team in the American League and doing that in three games. And then it was like, dang, like, we can do this. And then I think, you know, it was the first two games in Houston taking those two games. It was like, oh, yeah, we got this. Right. And then obviously they swept us at home. They took those three at home and it was just like, you know, like, no, we can do this. And so, you know, to that, we beat them and it was like, yeah, man, we can beat anybody, you know, like we, we beat the three best teams in the American league, you know, outside of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it was like, we can beat anybody, you know? So yeah, I would say it definitely propelled us and, and it gave us a sense of, and I wouldn't say cockiness. I would just say like confidence, right. A confidence that we're going to do this and we're going to do it in a, in a pretty tremendous way. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a couple more questions about the world series before we get into your career path and more info about how you, you got with the Rangers. Um, so mentioned a number of times, Jamie Reed, he's an iconic figure in the athletic training community. Um, we'll even touch more about him later. Um, but how special was it that you got to spend this season on staff with Jamie, um, especially that you got to work with him, uh, in the year that he captured his, uh, you know, first world series championship after, you know, 20 plus years with the Rangers, nearly 35 years in the big leagues. What did that mean to you to kind of get to share that moment with him? No, it it meant everything. You know, I, I think the two, the two people in this organization, 
uh, at least from a sports medicine standpoint, that mean the absolute world to me are Jamie Reed and Matthew Lucero, right? Like those have been my guys since day one. And um, so to get to experience this with J-Mo and get to see him kind of in his element too um, was really, really, really cool. He like he has been in my corner since literally day one. And the fact that, you know, having, you know, I spent whatever, 12, 14 years in, in the minor leagues, like he, mm-hmm. he was always there and he was always like pushing me to, you know, just be better, do better. And just reassuring me like, Hey, you're going to be in the big leagues one day. And not only are you going to be in the big leagues one day, you're going to be, you know, you're going to have an opportunity to be a head athletic trainer at some point and, and mm-hmm. you're going to win championships and you're going to do all this. So to, to get to literally kind of follow in his footsteps, right. And, and live that dream with him was, was awesome because he is a special, special man, especially to me and my family and uh, not only the, the athletic training community in as a whole. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, and getting into a bit more about your career, you mentioned, you know, Jamie kind of laid that path for you that uh, you're going to get there um, and you have, and, and you're, you're a champion now. You're also one of the younger athletic trainers in major league baseball, but you, you do have a wealth of experience in the game uh, for the listeners, like you mentioned, you started with the Rangers in the Dominican Summer League in, in 2009, uh, worked your way up to the rehab coordinator position by 2016, uh, and by 2019, you were the Arizona medical coordinator for the club. Throughout your journey, um, kind of excluding the World Series championship, um, what experiences and, and what kind of uh, work means the most to you as you reflect on on your career path and getting to the point you are today? Yeah, yeah. I'd say it's kind of, it's kind of twofold. Um, the first was I, I appreciate my time in the Dominican Republic. I really do. Mm-hmm. I went down there as an intern, you know, not really sure if athletic training was the route that I wanted to go. Not really sure if baseball was the route that I wanted to go. Not pretty, not even sure if professional baseball was the route that I wanted to go. And uh, I got down there and I remember just the experiences that I had down there with the culture and learning patience and learning a language. Um, I mean, because I could speak Spanish a little bit, like, you know, I'm from Southwest Texas, so I've got, grew up on a ranch, speak Tex-Mex, all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dominican Spanish is completely different. So learning how to function down there as an athletic trainer was, was very, very hard. And I remember when I got back to Nacogdoches, cause I went to Stephen F. Austin for my grad school, Um, When I got back to NAC, I remember I just felt so much more confident in my second year. And I feel like I kind of, it kind of helped propel me to, you know, be a leader of sorts in that cohort, whether people saw me as that or not, I don't know. Um, But it just, it helped me from a confidence standpoint. And so I truly appreciated my time down there. Um, And then I would say the second part was becoming the rehab coordinator, uh, getting to basically having no experience with that before, right. Outside of, I worked at mm-hmm. TMI in the off season in 2014 under Regan, actually it's before Regan came on full time. Regan's our physical therapist, um, with, in the big league with the big league club. Uh, we worked under him at TMI, just, you know, working with baseball and doing stuff like that. And I, and I remember like, dang, I was like, I really enjoy this. Like I could, I think this might be a good route for me to take because, you know, I have this opportunity with our organization. And so when they offered me that, I was, I, took it and I just fell in love with it immediately because I, I really enjoyed taking something that was literally completely broken and helping put it back together and then helping get it back to an elite level. 
of performance, whether it would be at the level they were already at or something that was greater than what they were before. And mm-hmm. so I really, really loved my time as a rehab um, coordinator because it wasn't just the physical, it was the emotional, it was the spiritual, it was, it was everything. Right. And so it was building relationships with players and bonds with players and then getting to see them excel. And I remember, I think it was my first Tommy John rehab, um, he, we brought him back and, uh, he ended up making it to the big leagues. I think it was 2017 or 18. I can't remember. And, uh, anyway, they, they flew me out to Arlington to watch him pitch. And it was just like, it was just one of the coolest things that the Rangers, you know, have done for me because it was like, that was glorification for me. It was like, dang, like what I did worked. Right. And it wasn't just me. I mean, there was a lot of hands involved in that. Right. But it was like, it was like my fingerprints were all over it and getting to watch him pitch on the, on the big stage. And I was like, yeah, this is, I love this. And this is Mm -hmm. the most rewarding thing for me. Right. And it wasn't a lot of times, if not every time athletic training is kind of in the shadows, right? Like mm-hmm. we're seen and not necessarily heard. So to, to have the glorification like that, where it was like, I know that I helped somebody, you know, get better, become stronger or pitch again or whatever it might be. Like that was probably one of the, the best feelings for me. Yeah. That's really awesome to hear, especially that you got to, uh, to get to Arlington to, to see, um, you know, the player in your care for so long, get back there and, and make it and know that you had a huge role in that. It's, it's really, I think the the foundation of athletic training is, is you're serving others and you, you're taking care of people, which is awesome to hear. Um, and you and you and a lot of the people we've had on the show really do speak fondly of the time in the minor leagues and then Dominican and in time, not in the big leagues. Um, I know how important that is to an athletic trainer's development as just a professional and, and knowing what you're doing. Um, do you think in your opinion, it's absolutely essential to kind of have those experiences? I know everyone's in a rush to get to the big leagues, but talk to the listeners, the students out there, the young professionals about the importance of your time in the minor league and, and how that helps you develop. Oh, absolutely. The minor leagues is, is pivotal. You know, when you're down there and you're grinding, it's like, dang, like, I just want to be in the big leagues. Right. Like you see, (laughs) you see world series champions and celebrations and stuff like that, but no, it it is absolutely pivotal because I mean, the decision-making and the spotlight, like I said, in the, in the big leagues is so much brighter and the decision-making is so much heavier. And it's, it's, if you don't have that experience in the minor leagues, like you're not, you're not going to make it. You're not going to be able to make those decisions. Um, it's just, and maybe you will, it's just going to be a lot harder for you because it's just like, it's everything about it, right? It's, it's having your own team. It's having your, your 26 guys or 33 guys or whatever it might be at your own affiliate, right? It's, it's having to do the bus travel. It's having to deal out the meal money. It's having to do, you know, all those little things that aren't necessarily on an athletic trainer's, um, job description to do, but at the same time, it, it just helps you prepare yourself for what's going to be expected at the, at the big league level. I mean, and the same can be said, it's like, and I know there are a lot of athletic trainers in the big leagues who probably skipped right over being a coordinator, but I, I will say like mm-hmm. being a coordinator in both, in both like the rehab, um, department, as well as in just the medical department, um, truly, truly helped me kind of with my decision-making and just, I mean, how to be proactive on things. And like, it taught me how, like what things are, you know, I need to be taken care of right now with what things I can wait on. Um, it, it taught me how to talk to people, right. Especially like front office personnel, mm-hmm. um, how to have conversations with them. Um, because at the end of the day, like it, as you get to the big leagues, you're going to have to have those conversations too. And if you don't know how to talk to your GM 
or someone with a significant amount of power, like you're, you're going to struggle a little bit. And so, yeah, the minor leagues is, is a very crucial aspect of the development of an athletic trainer. Um, do I think guys need to spend, you know, like 10, 15 years there? Like, no, not necessarily, because if you're, ta- if you're talented enough, then the people above you are going to see that and they're going to bring you up, but you need to serve in some capacity. Um, and for me, it's like, the funny thing is like, I never, I never got past low A as an athletic trainer, right? I never mm-hmm. went to, I never was an athletic trainer in high A. I didn't, was an athletic trainer in double A and I was an athletic trainer in triple A. I went straight from being the low A athletic trainer to the rehab coordinator. And I remember thinking and was even told in some degrees that that would hinder me in some point, right? Because I need to be able to work with the older athlete, um, that I need to be able to have conversations and figure out like when I can take them off the field or when I can push them to get back on the field, you know, just, you know, just basically how to communicate with that older athlete. And I was really nervous about that. And fortunately for us, the Rangers did a really good job of sending older athlete rehabs to surprise Arizona for our spring training complex or where we were based out of. And so I got to have that opportunity, but then I also traveled to double and triple a quite a bit and then up to the big leagues. And I saw how those interactions were to be had. Um, So you don't necessarily have to take every single, you know, affiliate at every single level. Um, but you do need to have the experiences to, you know, have to make decisions to be kind of, you know, have a little bit of a pressure cooker, you know, a timer mm-hmm. on you to where you, you have to make a decision quickly. Right. And there's going to be, you know, repercussions if you make the wrong one, but sure. I mean, that's how you grow. Right. And so I yeah. truly feel that, that athletic trainers need to experience the minor leagues and a coordinator position in some capacity before they go to the big leagues for sure. Mm-hmm. And you, you mentioned that Jamo really shared a pathway with you and, and showed confidence in your abilities that it kind of helped you trust the process when you were coming up. Um, but back then, when you're grinding it out in uh, whatever affiliate level or position you're at, um, playing travel secretary, handing out meal money, um, does getting to the big leagues really feel attainable um, from that perspective? You know, when you're watching the big big league club on TV from your post in the DR or something like that. Um, does it feel attainable? And, and how do you trust that process? I know JMO kind of instilled that in you, but, but what's your take on that? Yeah. Um, I would say starting out, it's like you have that dream and that's where you want to be. And the good thing is, is we have a lot of younger uh, minor league athletic trainers in our organization that have that aspiration, which is awesome. Um, I think, starting out it's like dang like i'm so far away especially when you start looking at the athletic yeah. trainers that are ahead of you right because i mean you know jacob newburn who is our other assistant athletic trainer um with us in the big leagues like he was he was ahead of me for pretty much the entirety of my, of my career and obviously until i became a coordinator and then he went up to the big leagues in, in 19 and it was like you look at the guys that are ahead of you and you're like dang these are really good athletic trainers yeah. and these guys have been here for five six ten years like like the pecking order is long and it's going to be a little bit. And I think that's the hardest part is, is seeing that it's not going to happen overnight, right. That you're going to have to work at it and then it's going to take some time and it's, it's a grind. Um, but I definitely see now that yes, it is absolutely attainable. Um, it's, I can see, like, I see some minor league athletic trainers in our, in our organization that, you know, if I was to be a head athletic trainer, you know, in the next, five, 10, 15 years. Like I would definitely call on these guys to be my assistants, you know? So it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, uh, you just, I think the, 
you just have to be patient. And that's, you know, that's something that both Lucky and JMO told me was just, just be patient. And, and I'll actually throw something out to Dale Gilbert, who's the head of our trainer for the Washington Nationals. He was our medical coordinator when I became the rehab coordinator. And I remember uh, we went mountain biking in Arizona together. And I remember after, I would like to say it was just a, a planned rest break, but it wasn't because we we're both <laughs> gassed, but you know, in this, he had a conversation with me and I, I still remember it to this day. He was like, Hey, like you're a coordinator now, you know, that's not a small thing. Like that's a big thing. You're a rehab coordinator. He's like, the carrot is right here. And he's like holding up like that carrot that's dangling on like a fish mm-hmm. hook. Right. He's like, the carrot's right there. It's right there. And that carrot was the big leagues. He's like, it's right there. And I know you can see it. I know you can smell it. I know you can almost touch it. He's like, but, like, don't forget to enjoy the ride along the way. And he's so true. And I mean, it ended up being, you know, seven years after we had that conversation that I even made it to the big leagues, but it's so true because now I can look back and I can truly appreciate everything that happened at the minor league level. And when when you're there and when you're, I know you, you probably did a great job of staying present, being in the moment to Dale's advice. Um, When you're there uh, in the coordinator position or at an affiliate, is there any worry or maybe that's the wrong word, but any thought about how can I make sure the people at the big league level are noticing me? How are they going to see my work? Or do you kind of approach that where, Hey, I'm going to put my head down. I'm going to grind it out. I'm going to make it happen and do the best I can. Uh, it's a little bit of both. Right. So it's like, I don't think you don't want to step on anybody's toes or step over people by any means, because mm-hmm. I've always been a firm believer that, you know, and this is from my father, right. My dad, the rancher, um, it's like, you just put your head down and you work. Right. And if, if your work is good and your value is good, then people are going to see that value. Right. And they're going to want to be a part of what you have to offer. And so I would say the majority of it is that, but in the same sense, it's like, if Matt was, you know, lucky and, and JMO or Kevin Harmon, who was actually the head of athletic trainer for mm-hmm. the majority of my coordinatorship, um, if they give you a task, like do it. Right. And don't only do it, like knock it out of the park, because that's how that's what's going to separate you from everybody else is if they give you something to do, then then do it and ask questions. Make sure you're doing it exactly the way that they want you to do it, but but do it. And then that's what's going to separate you. It's not being lackadaisical or, you know, um, you know, not being proactive. It's it's taking it on, you know, head on and and, and doing that work. So a little bit of both. And kind of going back a little more um, to when you were in college and and kind of learning the profession and and just how athletic training works in itself. Um, did you have any role models that really stuck out and kind of showed you the way? Yeah, yeah, it was lucky, right? Lucky. Mm-hmm. I mean, Lamo, Jmo, and Lucky. But I mean, Lucky and I've always had a really like great relationship, and uh, he he's been very transparent with me as well, just as much as as, as Jmo has. So. Um, I've always really looked up to him. And I mean, even it's so funny because even like this year, it's like, I'll do something and he knows this. So this is kind of funny, but like, I'll do something. And it's like, did I just, did I screw up? And if I screwed up, did I screw up in front of him? You know? And like, yeah. did he notice, is he mad? You know what I mean? So it's like, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty funny. But yeah, I would say like both of those guys are the two people that I looked up to the most. And it's just, for me, it's just so cool because it's like being able to start, at the bottom of our organization, right. And work my way all the way up to the big leagues. And, and those guys have been here the entire way and they've rooted for me and, and kind of 
showed me what my path was and helped me walk that path. And yeah, those, those two guys, mm-hmm. him and him and lucky are the two that, that I truly appreciate the most. Yeah. And you obviously, uh, you have some amazing mentors experienced working with some of the all time greats in the profession. Um, I'm sure you just soaked up so much knowledge, uh, throughout that time. I'm wondering now that you're in your position, a world series champion, athletic trainer in the big leagues, you know, accomplished so much at such a young age, uh, what advice would you give to college students who are looking to get into the profession this off season, kind of make their way, uh, probably follow a path that you've, you've kind of laid out. First and foremost, man, like, don't be afraid to do something that's terrifying, right? Like going Mm -hmm. to the Dominican Republic for an internship. You know, I think a lot of people are turned off by, you know, just that prospect and having to do that. And I think a lot of people forget that that's where a lot of us started. You know, Eric Velasquez was the assistant athletic trainer for the East Astros and also a classmate of mine, Stephen at Boston, started in the Dominican. You know what I mean? And so it's just like, that's where a lot of people start. And so um, be proactive, like reach out to organizations, go through the PBATS internship, you know, do all of that. But if someone offers you an opportunity, and I'm speaking from like coordinator experience, right? Like if someone offers you an opportunity to go down to the Dominican Republic and be an athletic trainer for three, four months and get paid to do it, do it because it's going to be Mm -hmm. one of the best experiences of your life. It doesn't mean that you're going to have to turn around and go back down there. Right. I did it because they literally offered me the job in September after my internship was over. And like, all you got to do is pass your BOC and you're hired. I'm like, Oh, okay, let's do Mm -hmm. it then. You know? And so I mean, I don't have to interview with anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So it's like, yeah, if, if you're given an opportunity to go down to the Dominican Republic, take it because it's going to help you grow in so many ways, not just as an athletic trainer, but as a person, because that culture is completely different than the culture that we live in right now. And it's going to make you appreciate everything that you have and everything that they go through on a daily basis down there. And Mm -hmm. plus the people down there are incredible. The kids are incredible. You know, the coaches that spend their time down there are incredible. So yeah, that would, that would be my recommendation is if, an organization says, yeah, we have an opportunity for you in the Dominican Republic, take it because it's going to help excel your knowledge and just your experiences. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's a statement that a lot of uh, our guests on the show have, have echoed is that, you know, you just got to dive in. Um, things are scary, get comfortable being uncomfortable and, and all those kind of seemingly cliches, but they are so true uh, when it comes to, the, to any profession, but spe- to specifically athletic training where, where travel and moving is, is quite frequent. Um, well, Sean, I, I appreciate all that info. Uh, great to hear the stories about the World Series and 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 the guys on your staff. But I I do want to give you a second here. You know, we talked about Jamie, uh, Lucky, Jacob, and and those guys. But I want to give you some time now to recognize um, the other people who make up the Rangers Athletic Training Department and Sports Medicine staff, and kind of help make your job easier every day. Yeah, I mean, start with with our strength conditioning coaches. You know, in the big leagues, Jose Vasquez and Al Sandoval. Um, they were tremendous in kind of teaching me, you know, the ropes and the unwritten rules of being in the big leagues. And, uh, same for Raul Cardenas, who's our massage therapist, man. He was a stud this entire year. And, uh, he, he was very open and honest to me. And, and, and I truly, truly, truly appreciate that. And then just, you know, everybody else in our, in our medical department in the minor leagues too, Alex Rodriguez, who's our medical coordinator. And then, uh, our minor league athletic trainers, man, they, they're awesome. And they're going to be really, really good one day. And I expect to see 
the majority of them in the big leagues, you know, and with whether it's with us or with another organization. So they're mm-hmm. going to be great. And then probably the last, you know, two people that I would like to thank the most for just getting me here. The first is Napoleon Pichardo, who is our senior director of performance. Um, he is just a godly man. He's kind of, mm-hmm. he helped me out. He was a strength conditioning coordinator while I was a rehab coordinator and then ultimately became the our senior director of performance while uh, I was one of our coordinators in the minor leagues. And he was just, uh, he's just been tremendous just from, you know, personal, professional standpoint, just a tremendous person. And then the other person is uh, Keith Comstock, who's our rehab pitching coach, um, just getting to work with that man. And if you, if y'all don't know anything about him, y'all should look him up. Keith Comstock. He's a, played in Japan for a little bit. I think he was released by, he'll tell you like all 30 teams (laughs) at some point. So Mm -hmm. he's a left-handed pitcher, but um, he's got an iconic mustache, but he just, he taught me a lot about just like pitching. Right. And, and what to look for. He taught me a lot about just rehab and just recovery. Um, He's one of those guys that, He's just, he's an incredible human being. He would watch a bullpen and he wouldn't even watch where the pitch was thrown. He would, he'd stand halfway down the, down the pen and he would look back at the pitcher and he could tell you if it was a ball or strike or not. He's, he's just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful man. So yeah, those, those two guys specifically are two that helped me get to where I am today. Yeah, definitely uh, an awesome staff there in Texas from, uh, you know, Arizona all the way to Arlington. Everybody's doing such a great job. Uh, well, Sean, now to wrap up today's episode, uh, we're going to finish with a quick Q&A segment that we call Extra Bases. So I'll ask you four quick questions and let you share some insight into some of your favorite things about athletic training and baseball. So we'll kick it off at first base. Um Outside of uh, the awesome setup you guys have in Arlington, um, what's your favorite athletic training room to work in in the big leagues? Dang, that's hard because there's a couple. I haven't actually been to all of the National League stadiums. That's so right. I can only speak for where I've been to. But I would say, honestly, I would say probably Seattle. And I think everybody says Seattle. Um, but I also like the Yankee Stadium too Mm -hmm. um anytime that you can have kind of like the weight room and the athletic training room together for me is a huge huge plus plus the size Mm -hmm. of both of those training rooms are are really good um but if i had to pick one i would probably say dang i'd actually probably say new york just Mm -hmm. because hydro room is separate the the training room's big and then the weight room's just you can see through the windows yeah, if there's one thing I've learned from from speaking to, you know, 40 of your colleagues across the league about this question, it's proximity, <laughs> proximity to uh, everything is huge. If you can see through a window into the weight room, perfect. Uh, if you can yeah. get to the other rooms, that's the best. So so cool to hear you echo that yeah. statement. Um, moving on to second base. Uh, I always say you guys are are so lucky and I know you, you're grateful for it, but you're on the, uh, you're in the dugout for a big league game. Uh, people would kill for that. Uh, so what's your favorite major league baseball stadium to watch a game from the dugout? I would say right now it's Baltimore. I just, I don't know, man. There's just something about Camden yard, like just sitting there and just, you know, seeing the building in right field and just imagining those, you know, numbers being up there for Cal Ripken Jr. Right. Mm-hmm. And just, I don't know. There's just something special about it. Maybe it was just the playoff atmosphere too, but I really enjoy, I really enjoy Baltimore a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Just a classic stadium. Anyone that grew up playing, yeah. that grew up playing video games, hitting balls off the wall with Ken Griffey Jr. Things yeah. like that. So I, I get yeah. it for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, moving on to third base, uh, you're a West Texas guy. You live in Texas. You work there obviously with the Rangers. 
Um, but you guys do travel so much. So what's your favorite city to visit when you're on the road? Um, so far, uh, Boston. I'm just, I'm a huge history nerd too. So I remember those one morning after I dropped my wife off at the airport and sent her back home, I just walked around as much as mm-hmm. I possibly could. So, um, she'll, she's upset. She'll be upset about that, but, um, yeah, uh, definitely Boston, man. Boston's cool. Yeah. Great spot. Um, and moving on to home plate. Um, this is one I'm super excited to hear your answer because you just finished up your first year in the big leagues. You also are World Series champion. Um, so when you got to the big leagues um, at some point this during this year, did you have a welcome to Major League Baseball moment as an athletic trainer? Yeah, I think it's uh, when I started crying on the first baseline during opening day uh-huh. and the announcements. And I mean, it wasn't like huge tears, but I mean, I was, <laughs> I was teared up a little bit because the roof was open. There was a flyover. My parents and my wife and my child were in the stands, you know, and it was packed full of people. And I think it was like, dang, like I, that was the moment where it was like, I finally, I made it right. Like, don't mm-hmm. screw this up. Like, this is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Do not screw this up. But yeah, I would say standing on the, on the first baseline, um, on opening day. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, what a memorable year for you, your first year in the big leagues. Again, reiterate again, a champion. Uh, so well-deserved. Well, Sean, you know, I appreciate your time, all the stories, you sharing all that insight into the run. I know it'll be super, super interesting for our listeners to hear. Uh, we wish you and your family and, and the rest of the guys in, in Texas uh, a, a enjoyable offseason, and, and congrats again on the championship. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much for letting me do this. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Inside Athletic Training. We hope you've gained valuable insights, inspiration, and knowledge to fuel your athletic training journey. If you enjoyed today's show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite platform. And also, stay connected with us on pbats.com for more news about athletic training and sports medicine.